Don Love, and I'm on the teaching team here, elder team, and then also prayer team stuff. And so this is uh, the Sabbath, right? The Sabbath? Are we sure on this or not? Um, because some might say this is like Saturday. So I want to welcome you to this, to this Sabbath day, but did we miss it? Was that yesterday, or is that today, or do we even know? So we're uh, in the middle of John, or, um, Luke chapter 5, and we're getting ready to go into Luke chapter 6. And there's going to be some Sabbath issues that are going to come up where Jesus is going to be challenging the religious leaders on some issues of the Sabbath. So if you guys will grab your Bibles and open them up then to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. You remember about two weeks ago, Brian was talking about the paralytic being lifted down through the roof. Right after that happens, Jesus starts to choose his disciples. And we're right in the middle of that, and there's going to be a beginning of choosing some disciples. And remember, there's not just 12 disciples, there's many disciples. And these many disciples are gathering. Jesus is going to get in the middle of some conflicts with the Pharisees and Sadducees so that the disciples kind of know what they're getting into, because Jesus isn't going to back down. He's going to have every opportunity to back down, and he doesn't. And for many of us, we'd be saying, Jesus, just wait 10 minutes. Just go outside, and you can heal the guy outside. But the point isn't just healing the guy. Jesus is trying to teach us some things about Sabbath. And as you, um, if you guys grew up in churches that would say Sunday is Sabbath, how many of you have grown up in churches that would say Sunday is Sabbath? Okay, how many of you grew up in churches that would say Saturday is Sabbath? How many didn't, they didn't really say, they just, just assumed, okay, one way or the other. Well, I'm curious here, how many of you, you've had a struggle yourself, have you ever wondered, like, is it Saturday or is it Sunday? Do you guys ever wonder this? Some of you did, some not. There are some people that are so staunch, they start a whole church about this. You know, the Seventh-day Adventists, that's one of their big doctrines, is that is the Sabbath. They have some other things there as well, but that's one of the big things that they wave their flag around, is that one thing. If you guys, do you guys know people who will not do anything on Sunday because they're like, it's the Sabbath, and they're not going to do anything? Like, literally, they won't change their oil. They're, like, there's a lot of things they'll do, and they'll say, I'm not going to do that because that's the Sabbath, and that would be dishonoring to the Lord. Well, I've heard lots of people say um, that Jesus repeats all of the Ten Commandments except for the Sabbath. And that, that made me wonder then, are we still under the Ten Commandments? And usually if you ask your pastor, are, you, are we still under the Ten Commandments? They'll say, yeah, of course we are. And you say, well, what about the Sabbath? They'll be like, well, I mean, not qu- Okay, and, and so usually in, the, in some of the churches I grew up with, it was sort of like, we're not under the law, absolutely not we're under the law, except for the Ten Commandments minus the Sabbath plus tithing right? And that was kind of the way, again, I was still trying to figure out, that doesn't quite seem theologically consistent here. And admittedly, even when I sat down to do this sermon, I was struggling a bit, because we're going to see some verses that are calling down curses on teachers who teach people not to, to follow the law. And this is coming out of the mouth of Jesus, whom I proclaim as my Savior, and I'm saying I'm following, and yet if I'm going to say we're not under the Sabbath, then that's a problem, I think. So we're, we're already here in Luke chapter 5, I want you to keep your finger in Luke chapter 5. We're going to come back to that. Those of you who have technological devices, it's going to be a little bit of a challenge. You're going to have to do bookmarks and get all technical. But right there, we're in the middle of Luke 5. But I want to go back a bit to what the Pharisees are going through. We tend to think of the Pharisees as the bad guys here and Jesus as the good guy here. But if you were in this situation, you wouldn't know who necessarily was the good guy. Depending on whether you like the Pharisees and you look up to them or not, you're definitely going to be having some back and forth here, kind of looking to the Pharisees saying, all right, are you going to shut this guy down? Or what are you going to do here? Is this okay? What's going on? 
And so I want you to see a little background here of the importance of Sabbath keeping according to the law. And remember, Pharisees, another name for them, are teachers of the law. So they are lawyers of that day enforcing the laws, and the laws of the land are the laws of Scripture. And so they're trying to, as best as possible, follow these. So I want you to think about, if you're trying to follow the old covenant law here, the law of Moses, what would this look like? So turn to Exodus 31, Exodus 31, 12 through 18. Exodus 31, 12 through 18. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, But as for you, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, You shall observe my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. Some translations will say perpetually throughout, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Therefore, you are to observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall be surely put to death. For whoever does, does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh there is to be a Sabbath of complete rest. Holy to the Lord, whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall surely be put to death. So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout the generations as a perpetual covenant. This is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heavens and earth, and the seventh day he ceased from his labor and was refreshed. When he finished speaking uh, speaking with him upon Mount Sinai, he gave Moses the two tablets of his testimony, tablets of stone, written by the finger of God. I mean, it sounds pretty heavy, pretty heavy-handed. Literally, God's hand is writing the law here and saying this is the way it's supposed to be. And you might think, you know what, that's a little bit harsh there. You know, I don't know that I quite agree with that. Um, but then the question is, well, are you a follower of God, the, the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament? And, and I think you have to be careful here because Scripture's saying they're the same. And you can't say, well, I kind of like the God of the New Testament, so I follow him. I don't like that old guy. And, and like, well, maybe God got saved in the Old Testament to the New, right? But I thought God didn't change. There, there's, there's some tension here between this old thing and this new thing. What, what in the world's going on here? One thing I wanted to catch here, too, is on that seventh day, what God essentially did at the end of the day is he looked at his work. He didn't just rest. He looked at his work. Do you guys ever do this? Guys and girls, you, you make some project and you stand back and hopefully you look at it and you're like, you know what? This is pretty good. I like this thing. I made this. This is cool. And you'll, you'll see this a lot with kids and adults still do it kind of on the down low, but the kids kind of want to show you like, look at this thing that exists now because I made that. Isn't this good? And what they want you to say is, yeah, that's very good. And that's what the Lord was doing was he was delighting in his work. So it wasn't just, well, I'm going to stop doing everything. No, it's you look back over your labors for the week and think, like, how was it? And isn't that a good idea every once in a while, kind of evaluate your work? Wouldn't you want a carpenter to do that every once in a while? Is that level? I don't know. We'll move on to next week's work. So let's look at the next passage here. If that one was not disturbing enough, we'll stay in the Old Testament for one more passage. Numbers 15, 32 through 36. Number 15, 32 through 36. Now, while the sons of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering wood on the Sabbath. Some of your translations will say sticks, um, and some will say wood. Those who found him gathering the wood brought in Moses and Aaron and all the congregation, and they put him in custody because it had not been declared what they should be done to them. It's not specific about stick gathering. Then the Lord said to Moses, The man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside of the camp. So the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones, just as the Lord commanded Moses. That sounds pretty harsh, right? I mean, and if, you, if, you're, if your scripture says sticks there, 
you picture this guy out in his yard, maybe he's meandering around, he picks up a couple sticks here and there, and then like before he knows it, he's mobbed by all these people pulling him somewhere to get stoned, right? But the word means wood. It could literally be gathering trees, any, any size stick to tree. And the implication seems to be he's gathering firewood. So there's a guy out logging on the Sabbath, and as he's gathering firewood to prepare for his home, and it's a, it's a legit thing. People need wood to heat their homes. But it actually says in Scripture that they're not supposed to kindle a fire that day on Sabbath. You're supposed to have made all preparations, and even the cooks, everybody in the house is supposed to be able to be given rest. It's not just the people at the highest of status, but the people who would have tendered the fires, the people who would have cooked the meals, they all get to rest. And the idea really is making it so we live in a society so that we make sure everything happens beforehand. And one of the things you'll see here too, by the way, I, had to, I was talking with a college and career group at a camp we were recently at, and they were struggling with the God of the Old Testament. One of the things you need to realize sometimes is the wickedness of this time was so bad that people would pray and say, Lord, would you not destroy this city for the sake of seven people? If there's seven righteous people in this city, would you save the city? And the Lord says, sure, we can do that, because he knows there's not seven righteous people in the city. And then in the midst of this, it's so dangerous when angels visit that city that their life is in danger. And it's so wicked, in fact, that the, the person who's considered the most righteous of all of them offers his daughters up to be, have all these horrible things happen to them. And we see even the most righteous of the city was not very righteous. And so we need to understand sometimes God is taking very hard lines because we have not lived in a society like this where you were so fearful to go outside and, and that slavery could actually seem like a grace to you. Like I would give up this life that I could be a slave. We have not lived in that. And so for us, many times when we see what's going on here, we can't understand it because we think this world is horrible and it might be heading that direction, but it was nothing like what was going on here. All right, so we're in the Old Testament and I'm hoping... This underscores a bit about what the religious teachers are thinking. So let's get back to Luke 5. Get back to the New Testament here. A little more comfortable in the New Testament. Luke chapter 5. And so as we just kind of look in between the passage that Brian was teaching, if you see in 5, 27 through 32, Jesus is calling sinners, kind of a controversial thing. And Jesus says, nope, not going to the people who are righteous. I'm going to call sinners. So if it seems odd to you, well, that's what I'm doing. I'm calling out the sinners. And then they're complaining because Jesus isn't fasting. And he's saying, don't you understand who I am and what's happening? This is actually a time of celebration. You don't fast during a time of celebration. This is a celebration. And then after this, he is going to explain something in a parable and this is, this is a parable I had to kick around for quite some time because it's, it's partly the translation, it's partly because parables are intentionally meant to be tricky. But look at verses 36 through 39. 36 through 39, chapter 5. And he was telling them this parable. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment to put it on an old garment unless he, will, unless he will both tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine in old wineskins, otherwise the new wine will burst, and the skins will be spilled out, and the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new, fresh wineskins, and no one drinking wine, old wine, wishes for new, because they say, the old wine is good. Let me talk a little bit about this. I brought some clothes. These are actually my clothes here, believe it or not. So I have some cool vintage clothes. And I would argue, to some degree, vintage clothes are better than new clothes, and not everyone agrees with me, right? But if I were to take these nice polyester pants with extra stretch, 
These are some sweet, these are very comfortable actually, you'd be surprised. If I were to take these pants and say there was a hole in it, I'm not going to cut a hole in it because that would be crazy. I'm not going to mess these up, you know. But say I had some old pants like this, and then I took some of my new clothes, and I'm like, you know, I'm going to take my new clothes here, and I'm going to cut a piece out of this, and I'm going to sew it on this to fix it, right? That's not going to look that great. I mean, it might seem fashion forward in one sense, but if the materials don't actually fit together, I'm going to have a problem. The first time I wash it, it's going to pull apart, and it's not going to help anybody. It's going to ruin this shirt, and it's going to not fix this together. And Jesus is suggesting somehow what he's doing within the conversation of the Pharisees is like this, where he has some new clothes he's bringing, and there may be some problems with the old clothes, which is kind of problematic because David said, which we take him as a prophet and as a writer of scripture, David says the law of the Lord is perfect. And sometimes you're reading through the law of the Lord and you're like, I don't know. It's, it's, there's some things here that are a little bit disturbing, not quite the way that I would say it. Um, and, but I'm going to suggest there's always a problem with any written law, ever, because people find ways around the written law. And what we're going to find is that God has already prophesied that some new things are about to come. By the way, any of you guys ever read Hiram's Red Shirt? How many of you read Hiram's Red Shirt? Okay, little golden book. You need to pick it up. There's a little golden book called Hiram's Red Shirt, and it's all about him cutting his clothes up to try to fix one thing to fix another. Perfect illustration. Don't have time to read it today, but you need to get on Amazon after you're done here and buy that book. It is like one of the best little golden books ever made. So just an advertisement there. So I want to, let's look at, let's look at a couple verses here. So you have that verse that's kind of stirring things up. That kind of sounds like Jesus is doing away with the old law, right? Well, let's look here at another verse. Turn with me to Matthew 5.17. Matthew 5.17. He says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. All right, so that kind of scares me as a teacher. So disclaimer here, you have to own your own faith. Right? Disclaimer here, I'm going to try to teach the best that I can about the old law and the new law here, but what I think is happening here is Jesus' mission in part is to help the Jewish people and then us to transition from the law of Moses to what the Apostle Paul calls the law of Christ. And in between those two, there's something that people have called the moral law, which is those unchanging principles that existed even before the law of Moses. There are these things that God would say, this is righteousness, it's God-likeness that existed before God even gave a law. Because let's face it, there's right and wrong even before we make laws. And so there's this right and wrong that's in both the law of Moses and also now in the law of Christ. And so it's still helpful for us sometimes to go back and look at the law of Moses. But Jesus is transitioning us to something better. He's not just trying to give us a patch for the old law. What he's suggesting, he's bringing something better. He's bringing something that's actually new clothes and new wine. So one of the, in that translation, some of your translations, it's confusing because Jesus seems like he's all about new wine, but then he's saying like that people are going to say that old wine is better. So everyone knows old wine is better. I think what he's suggesting here 
Even though we can't necessarily agree whether vintage clothes or new clothes are better, there seems to be an overall consensus among those who have consumed alcohol that older wine is better. In fact, the older it gets, the more expensive it gets. And so the idea is, if you're offering someone, hey, would you like to have some old wine? We got some brand new wine we just made. The idea is that you would say, well, I want the old wine. The old wine, of course, is better. So Jesus understands what he is coming offering is not going to seem to be better than the old wine. But you remember what happened at the wedding feast at Cana? You remember this? So Jesus is there, there's this wedding, they run out of wine, Jesus is asked to take care of it. So what he does is he takes the ceremonial washing jars of the Jews, that which is meant for Jewish ceremonial purification, and he totally ruins them. He fills them with water and then turns it into new wine. And what do they say in the wedding party? Oh my goodness, what people normally do is once everybody's buzzed, then you bring out the cheap stuff. But instead, you brought out the good stuff, and you just made it right here in the spot. The people, some people knew that, and so that was the good wine. So don't think that just because something is new on the scene that it's not actually better than that which is old, which that kind of shakes a little bit because remember, we're told that there's going to be this prophet like Moses that would come, but if, if anybody came and they said, let's follow after other gods, don't follow after them, and any time there's a change, a tweak to what we believe, we tend to think, oh, this, is, this isn't God. This, this can't be right. But here we have Jesus, and he's going to be breaking the Sabbath. And we'll see. I don't actually think he was breaking the Sabbath. I think he was fulfilling the Sabbath. And we'll look at that in a minute. And that's a big difference as we get into this. But I think that Jesus is helping us to understand the way the Sabbath was always intended to be from the very beginning. Even though there was a death penalty associated, there was something good in it that was intended for us. So I want us to consider Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. But before you turn there, let's actually just go to the New Testament, Hebrews 8, 7 through 13, because Hebrews quotes that passage and explains it. And that often is helpful when we can look to a New Testament passage that explains the Old Testament. So that's Hebrews 8, 7 through 13. Hebrews 8, 7 through 13. For the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for the second. So he's saying if there wasn't a problem with the old law, we wouldn't need a new law. For finding fault within them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers, on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the hand of Egypt. That's when we're talking about God carving with his finger. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind, I'll write them on our hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach, they shall not teach everyone to follow, every fellow citizen, everyone and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me, from the least of them to the greatest." For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to disappear. So the writer of Hebrews here is suggesting this old covenant of Moses. A covenant just means agreement. Don't let that word throw you off. This old agreement between God and the men and saying we're going to follow after Israel's, um, after Moses' law is fading away. And now we have this new covenant of Christ. And so we're living in between this time of overlap of the covenants. And there's this question of how much of this continues still for the Jewish people and how much now that we are under a covenant of Christ does that old pass away. 
And I think that's still a mystery that they're figuring out throughout the book of Acts and it's things that we still need to work through a bit today. So keep this in mind. Now finally you can get back to Luke 6. Let's get back to Luke 6 now. Getting back to our main text for the day. So we're going to jump in to uh, verse 6. Actually, we'll go up a little bit higher than that. Let's go up to 6.1. Now it happened that he was passing through some grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were picking the heads of the grains, rubbing them in their hands, and eating them. But some of the Pharisees said, What you do on the, lo- on the Sabbath is not lawful. And Jesus said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those were with him. How he entered the house of God, and he took and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests alone, and he gave it to his companions. And he was saying to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And then on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and there a man whose right hand was withered came in. The scribes and Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath, so they might find reason to accuse them. But he knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and come forward. And he came up and went forward. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do harm or good on the Sabbath, to save life or destroy it? And looking all around them, he said to them, said to him, stretch out your hand, and he did so, and his hand was restored. But they themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. So as we look at what's happening here, Jesus doesn't back down, and then he's going to explain himself a little bit. And this is an interesting story about King David. I don't even know if King David was completely righteous in everything he was doing here, but it's still a great illustration because it was dealing with grain and bread, Great parallel there. But also, if you understand the bread that was for the priests, what the point of it is, it actually ties right in with Sabbath as well. Because the bread was something that was supposed to represent each of the 12 tribes of Israel and the work of their hands. So each loaf was named after each of the 12 tribes, and each one was a recognition from those tribes that every bit of work that we do throughout the week is not because of our own striving, it's because of the work of the Lord and what he's doing. And so this is actually Israel's symbol of Sabbath, showing, yes, we are giving this loaf of bread as a sacrifice from each of our tribes to acknowledge we are not doing anything by our own power. There's nothing that we did throughout the week that we did by our own power, and on Sabbath, we are acknowledging it was because of God that we could even do any of this. And also, by the way, by dropping David's name, it's kind of a messianic reference, sort of saying, hey man, you're expecting this king like David? Well, I'm doing what David did, so why are you complaining? So there's a a sidestepping messianic reference in the midst of this, and also a little bit of a subterfuge where the Pharisees scratch their head long enough that Jesus sneaks out in these different things. So Jesus is going to be leveraging his authority here as the Lord of the Sabbath, and what, what I've heard pastors talk about, and I've actually had pastors come to me and say, I said this in my congregation, and I got in trouble for it, but I still believe it, that I think Jesus broke the Sabbath, and he was showing you that you can break the Sabbath. Well, do we really want to say that God broke his own law and that we're supposed to break his law? That's not really, I think, what's going on here. I think what he's saying instead is, as the Lord of the Sabbath, I'm the one you should be looking to to model what we do on the Sabbath. Don't look to the Pharisees to model what you should do in the Sabbath. They got some things right, but they've missed a lot of things here too. 
Jesus often accused them of things like straining out the gnat and swallowing the camel as though they've missed the big thing. Yes, they got some details right, but they've missed the big thing. And in this case, they've missed the biggest thing because the Messiah is right in front of them. The disciples are celebrating. Jesus is performing miracles right in front of them, and they're like, but what about the Sabbath? But Jesus does this on purpose. He's intentionally, time and time again, coming in during the Sabbath and doing these things. He knows what they're thinking, and he does it anyway. And so there's something Jesus is intentionally doing in order to try to help them to understand the difference between the old clothes, which are really good, and the new clothes. So with this, Jesus is suggesting, I'm giving you new clothes. I'm giving you new wine. This is a new thing. But that doesn't mean that the old was bad. Actually, the old was really good. But this is better. And as we talked about from Jeremiah, this was predicted that this new thing was going to come. But in some ways, it is a new thing. In some ways, it's not a new thing. So as Jesus, the Pharisees here then are going, to be, are going to be livid about this. They miss the miracles. They miss the celebration. And what Jesus is going to do after this is he walks out and he chooses out of all the disciples that are there, after spending nights in prayer, he comes and starts picking each of the disciples. And then immediately they go out and they start doing spiritual warfare, casting out demons after this, further demonstrating that the kingdom of God is at hand. So let's, let's look at some takeaways of this story here. First off, let's first off be thankful that we're not under this old covenant, this, this law of Moses, uh, one that you had to figure out, is this breaking the Sabbath or not? Am I close to doing a death penalty offense because I picked up sticks in my yard or not? And let's be thankful that God didn't just try to patch the old covenant and give us a few more books in the Old Testament. Instead, he gave us a new covenant, which is far better because the Spirit of God is living inside of us, which is kind of scary when people start saying things like, I believe the Lord told me, and watch out then, right? I mean, oh, you never know what they're going to say. Did they hear rightly? Did they not hear rightly? But that's essentially what's saying is we're not like this group of people where we have one Moses who went up to the mountain and heard from the Lord, and all the people cried out and said, no, don't let the Lord speak to us because we'll die. No, we're like those people that go up to the mountain with Moses and receive the Spirit of God, and we then are a kingdom of priests. Israel was supposed to be a kingdom of priests, but they turned it down. But now we are supposed to be this kingdom of priests, each and every one of us a kingdom of priests. So let's be thankful for the era that we live in and the kind of Sabbath that we have today. Second thing is, regardless of what day you celebrate the Sabbath, do good on the Sabbath. That's what Jesus was saying, do good on the Sabbath. Two verses you might want to write down, Romans 14.5, Romans 14.5, and Colossians 2.16. That's Romans 14.5 and Colossians 2.16. This is written to people, different groups that are struggling with which day should the Sabbath day be. The essence of this is don't argue about it. Believe it wholeheartedly in your own heart. Celebrate it wholeheartedly, whether it's Saturday, whether it's Sunday, whether it's monthly, whatever it is. Celebrate this as unto the Lord. So do good in the Sabbath regardless of what day it is. And ask God to show you what he is doing on the Sabbath and join him in his work. So just a couple passages here. Turn to John 5, John chapter 5. And we're in verses 16 to 20. Again, another Sabbath controversy. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. 
But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself is working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the father will show him greater things than these, so that you will marvel. So what Jesus essentially said is, I see what the father is doing, and I do it. That's all I do. I'm not doing anything my own accord. And I understand many of us have been brought up on this overemphasis on Jesus' deity and an underemphasis on his humanity. And I, I would rather, if I have to pick an overemphasis one way or the other, I would rather pick an overemphasis on his deity. But even better would be a balanced view, which seems to be what Jesus is teaching, that even though he was divine, here on earth, he only did what he saw the Father doing. So yes, this demonstrates that he is a God by the things he did, but at the same time, he saw what the Father was doing, and he did them. So what I would suggest, as I put the pieces together, I think on the day he healed that man withered, I think he had the Lord's heart in that, the Father's heart in that moment, and the idea was, Lord, what are you doing here? What do you want me to do here? I don't know if you've ever been in these moments where you kind of feel the Lord drawing you out into something, and you know it's not your own volition because you don't really want to do it, and yet it's not just that the Lord wants to drag you into bad circumstances, by the way. Some people think they make all their decisions on, what's the thing I want to do the least? I guess I'll do that because that's what the Lord wants me to do. That's not right either. Okay, so I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is there's a point where you start feeling the Lord drawing you into something. You start feeling a compassion beyond yourself. And it doesn't quite make sense. But at the same time, it seems to be the loving thing to do. And it's almost like you reluctantly want to do it. And it's sort of like, okay, Lord, I'll do it. And often you step into it, and amazing things happen. I've shared some stories about this in past lessons, so I won't bring too many examples up. But the idea here really is the Lord is doing something. Are you going to partner with him in it? And somehow Henry Blackaby and Experiencing God, somehow that got into conservative churches all over. Um, There was this movement where people started actually saying, Lord, what are you doing? Let me join you in it. Not that I'm taking the gospel to a people that haven't heard, but Lord, what are you doing in this group of people? Because you care about them already. You're already reaching out to them. And we've seen this with dreams and visions in different countries where God's already reaching these people and we're just joining them and where he's doing it. And that's the way we should be living our Sabbath. And that's the way we should be living our lives like Jesus did here, where we're looking and seeing, Father, what are you doing in this moment and joining them in it? So, so John 14, last passage here, John 14, 1 through 14. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe also in me. In the Father's house, there are many dwelling places. I don't know if we need to go that far back. 14, let me skip down, actually, because I'm running low on time. Uh, let's see. Let's just skip down to 12. Truly, truly, I tell you, he who believes in me The works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So Jesus is talking to the disciples here, but he uses the word anyone, not seeming to talk just to the disciples, but seeming to suggest that those people who are walking like the Lord did, that when the Lord shows you that there's something that you should do and you step into it, amazing things are going to happen because the power of God is going to flow through you. And I think that's the life that Jesus lived. And the Sabbath, in one sense, 
was like any other day because he was following the Father on every day. And so when he got to these days, he was getting into, the, getting into this and saying, Lord, what are you doing? And the fact that it was a Sabbath didn't stop him from doing good. But at the same time, Jesus wasn't gathering firewood. Jesus wasn't, wasn't trying to advance the ministry in the sense of trying to build something or trying to do something that was breaking the Sabbath. He was trying to do the works of God. And so I understand it's a little hard, but I really think um, the Pharisees reaming out Jesus, they seemed like they exerted a little bit more work than Jesus just saying, stretch out your hand. Being they, they might have worked more on the Sabbath than Jesus did to heal the man. By the way, um, it's tempting when you see this to want to ream out every church leader that you see, like, well, Jesus did it, right? I'm just going to ream out, right? This is wrong, so I'm going to say it. So Jesus was gentle with everyone else, but religious leaders really harsh, right? There's a model here for Christianity. Be harsh to your religious leaders and be gentle to the weak and lowly, right? Um, but in case you slip into that, because by the way, the enemy's still trying to speak while we're speaking here. And as you're processing things, the enemy's whispering and telling you what to do or what not to do. But 1 Timothy 5.1 warns against this. And this isn't just elders in a position. This is elders meaning those who are older than you. Um, the older are supposed to treat the younger as brothers and sisters. And the older, the younger looking to the older, are supposed to not rebuke them harshly, but exhort them as fathers and mothers. So that's 1 Timothy 5.1 if you need to meditate on that a little bit. And I think all in leadership would appreciate that meditation. <laughs> so finally, we need to remember that Sabbath was made for you not you for the Sabbath. If you look at Mark 2, 27 through 28, you can turn there or not. What's neat about some of these gospel accounts is sometimes when you compare them, they're exact word for word, and then sometimes one author will choose to include something, sometimes not. And in Mark, one of the things that Jesus says in the midst of this exact story is that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So if you start focusing on the old covenant law sometimes, you start thinking, this is a death penalty offense. It's easy to start thinking like, I need to serve the Sabbath. I need to serve the Lord today so he doesn't kill me, right? But what Jesus is suggesting is even from the very beginning, even when those harsh laws were put into place, it was still for the people. It was for their benefit. It was for their good. And there were reasons for that harshness, as I suggested. But I want to suggest, I don't think that we can take any of what Jesus taught in all the New Testament concerning the Sabbath to say that Jesus was not observing the Sabbath and he was repealing the Sabbath. I think he was fulfilling the Sabbath and he was helping us to understand a bit about this. Now, since we're under, we're under the law of Christ and not the old covenant law, I think that gets rid of the death penalty for this. I think so. So if you see your neighbor picking up sticks, don't take it upon yourself or to, to get a group of people together. I, I really think in this new covenant, the idea is that the Spirit of God is living inside of us, and it's the difference between writing a list of rules for your children and trusting them that they have now reached maturity. And if you need to understand that, read the book of Galatians. That's what it's all about. It's talking about how the law was a teacher to bring us to Christ, and now as the Spirit lives in us, we walk that out. Although sometimes I'd really like a list. Sometimes I think this would be, just give me a list and I can follow that. No, I need you to walk it out. And you're going to make mistakes along the way. And there's forgiveness along the way. There's grace along the way. There's always been grace along the way. Read the Old Testament. And if you read through it, you'll see that God introduces himself as a God of loving kindness. And often he waits thousands of years for him to punish. Even to the point where we, get to, we start asking God, Lord, how come this, you would let evil exist this long? Why don't you punish it? 
So which is it? Do you want him to punish it right away harshly, or would you rather wait a thousand years and that long-suffering, kindness, patience? Well, I think God knows best in each case. So as we walk this out now, I want to encourage you, when you get to the end of your week, whenever that ends, if it ends Saturday, if it ends Sunday, when you get to the end of the week, spend some intentional time and look what you did that week. Write it down. Look over it. If it's something you actually built, look at the pictures of it. Go walk around it. Take delight in the things that you built. And if you walk around and you realize, I have nothing to show for it, well, ask the Lord, is that true that I have nothing? Some of you don't build with your hands. Sometimes you build with your heads and your minds and the things, the people that you prayed for, the letters that you wrote, the things that you made that were beautiful. And some of that was even just your own self-care, processing something, that you created something that no one even saw. And maybe it's not even worth showing anybody, but you put your heart and soul into it and you felt something fix in you. We might say break in you, but it got fixed in you. Like you were able to express something and your rest for the entire week was your work. But other times it was just sloth. Other times it was self-pity. Other times it was doing things that was actually against the Lord. That's when at that point we say our work is not very good. And then we walk out out for the next week in a different way, a new week, new life. So in fact, let's just take a moment and we'll finish up now just praying a little bit through these things. Let's pray. Lord God, we acknowledge that everything we've done this week is only possible because of you. And so, Lord, on this Sabbath day, we ask, would you show us, would you help us to enter into your rest here in this moment? So, Lord, each person here, we ask, would you bring their mind to rest and their heart to peace? Lord, we come into your presence, not because we are in a church, because we certainly are not, but because you are here and you are available. We thank you for all that you provided for us, even, Lord, in the midst of our worry or feeling that we have want, knowing, Lord, you've in so many ways provided our needs and even some of our wants. Lord, would you help us to see what are those things that we did this week that were very good in your sight? So, Lord, I pray for each person here. Would you bring to their mind now what's something that they did this week that was good whether we're going to call it work or not, but something that came out of their heart, mind, bodies. Would you show them, Lord, what are you pleased with this, work, this week? Would you bring that to their heart and mind in a way they can receive? And Lord, would you show us, is there anything that we did this week that we're being too hard on ourselves for? Is there anything we need to submit to you? Anything that is a heavy burden that we, for some reason, insist carrying Sabbath to Sabbath, week to week? Lord, you've said you would give us rest. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone here. Would you help us when we cross the threshold of evening of the night before the Sabbath that we would lay down these heavy burdens and enter your rest, helping us to receive what Sabbath has for us, would you show if there's anything we need to submit to you? And Lord, if there's anything we need to repent of. Lord, if our work was just not even not very good, but Lord, the opposite of good, bad, evil, against you, against ourselves, against others. Lord, we repent of these things. Would you speak into this and help us to understand why we do these things that aren't right? 
Can you just picture offering all that was good as a sacrifice to the Lord? We're told in Corinthians that there's going to come a time in the judgment where everything's going to be burned up that's not for the kingdom, but everything else will be given reward. So Lord, would you give us a sense of the rewards that we are storing for ourselves up in heaven? And would you give us a sense of what we're going to leave behind on this earth, these kingdoms that Solomon warmed against building here on earth? So Lord, we come against these kingdoms of the earth and we ask for everyone here, would you set them free from each of these kingdoms that are not of you? So Lord, we ask now that you would give us eyes to see this week where you are working, that we might both rest in you and work alongside you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. A sabbatical year. And at the end of seven years, they had to have their land rest. And anything that even just grew by accident or by nature, it was just left. Anybody could pick it. It was open for the whole world. And you would know, you would plan ahead. It's almost time for the Sabbath year, and then this is going to happen. And then there would be this major shift, and you would be resting for that year. Imagine having a sabbatical year. Some of us need to start planning ahead for that. I don't know how far you are until you hit that seventh year. You need to pray and ask the Lord, and the Lord might say it's three years from now. And the Lord might be saying, a major shift needs to happen in your life, and it's a year from now, it's two years from now, it's three years from now. But pray and ask, Lord, when is my sabbatical year? There's also something even greater than that, year of Jubilee. Every 49 years, you had a year of Jubilee, and if your parents or grandparents messed around with your land that was supposed to be your inheritance, you got it back. If your parents or grandparents sold you into slavery because that was the best hope for you, you got to choose do I want to continue to be a slave? Do I appreciate these people that I'm working under? Or do you want to be free? And you got to choose that. And you got to go back to your land at that point. And so some of us need to have that reset. And I can't promise you that the lands of your fathers will come to you. But what I can promise is that that's what the Lord desires for you. Is that the Lord does desire your prosperity, but often we get in the way of our own prosperity or we make our own definition of what prosperity is and complain about not having it. But what your own prosperity looks like is apart from everything that you own, everything that you do, who you are in relationship with Christ and in relationship with others, that prosperity has to be able to happen in that, apart from every possession, apart from every accomplishment, that is where that prosperity is. And if you're able to walk that out, well, then all these other things can be added unto you because they're not gonna taint you, they're not gonna pull you away in this. So I just wanna encourage you this week, think about Sabbath, Practice a little Sabbath on whatever day it is. Some of you, it'll be a Wednesday or a Tuesday because that's when you get off work. Just pray about, Lord, what do you want me to do to have Sabbath be for me and walk this out in relationship with you? Thank you.